Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Oxbow Partners is happy to support this episode of Following the Rules. Oxbow Partners is a management consultancy specialising in the insurance industry. In 2022, we were again named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. We help our clients, who include insurers, reinsurers, regulators and investors, with everything from growth strategy to operations, technology and M&A, not to mention the impact of the increasingly complex regulatory environment on their businesses, such as the current FCA General Insurance Pricing Fairness Rules, about which you'll find lots of commentary on our website, oxpopartners.com. If you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, please drop us a line. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast. I don't think people are really thinking too much about that because the regulators haven't said much about it, and that could cause problems for people. Firms need to consider how, and regulators need to consider how firms respond to that. Today's guest explains why the UK's financial sector could be heading towards another major financial scandal and what city regulators and firms under their remit can do now to prevent such an event from coming to fruition. He outlines how he believes the UK markets watchdog's approach to policing city behaviour must change to better enable finance firms to adhere to their expectations. He also details the compliance challenges that he sees arising from the current cost of living crisis and explains how compliance teams should best respond. Anthony Whitehouse is a former regulator at the Financial Conduct Authority's predecessors, who has also held several senior roles in compliance at some of Europe's largest banks. A former UK Head of Compliance and Global Head of Fixed Income Compliance at BNP Paribas and UK Head of Compliance at Natixis, Whitehouse has also spent three years running the Influential Compliance Committee at Tradebody, the Association for Financial Markets in Europe. Since July, he has been advising on compliance issues as a consultant at Whitehouse Compliance Advisory. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to Following the Rules. Thank you. Good morning. You have spent the majority of your 40-year career in senior compliance roles at some of Europe's largest banks. How did the role change during your career? I started working in the mid-90s. It's certainly much more complicated now in terms of compliance. The main change has been in terms of the professionalism of compliance, if I call it that. The compliance has gone from something which you can get away with treating with contempt to something where you have to be quite careful about how you deal with compliance. Compliance was then quite often called the drug prevention team. I think generally that's changed quite dramatically. Over the years, compliance teams have evolved quite significantly from the generalist teams that perhaps they used to be in the past. That's really as a result of a lot of the high-profile scandals and problems that we've had in the industry over the last few years. And every time there has been a new scandal or a problem in an area, the regulators' expectations in terms of what firms know about those product areas or even products has increased. And there was an expectation that firms have compliance officers who understand those complex products and complex markets. And over time, you find that whereas there may have been a general compliance officer who knew a little bit about the markets, there then was a need to have a compliance officer who knew about the equity markets. 
And now you probably have compliance officers who know only about the flow of equity markets, for example. So that's been quite a significant change. And what that's led to, I think, also is a compartmentalization of knowledge within compliance departments. So you could have had a situation in the past where you would have had a small team of generalists, maybe a few people who specialized in a few different areas. And by the time the person worked their way up to be in charge of a, a compliance department, they had a pretty good idea about all the different areas within compliance. They maybe did a little bit of time doing financial crime, a little bit of time doing equities, a little bit of time doing fixed income, probably done some central compliance type issues, maybe some monitoring or individual registration. So they had a good understanding of how the department worked. Nowadays, it's probably possible for somebody to go into compliance as a junior, work in an, an equity compliance team specializing in a particular product area, to work their way up to be a head of equities. Then they would move up to be a head of markets compliance with little knowledge about the other areas. And then they might become a head of compliance. And their understanding about how all the different parts of compliance work is probably a lot less than it was in the past. So that has a fundamental change to how compliance departments have operated over the last few years. Okay, the compartmentalization of knowledge, you said that was a fundamental change. Would you say that's a fundamental issue as well? It's necessary to have specialists, quite clear, because specialization is certainly required, but it does create a problem, I think, when you have more senior staff who have a career path that has brought them through certain areas of compliance, and they probably don't have that broad knowledge of all areas of compliance. But they're also firms who are quite happy to bring in non-specialist compliance officers as compliance managers, because they simply think that you need a manager rather than a specialist heading up a compliance department. That also causes problems as well, because I do think that uh, to be able to effectively run a large compliance department, you need to have not only management skills, leadership skills, but you need to have a knowledge about all the different areas of compliance, what complications are there, what problems are going to be occurring to be able to manage effectively. And that's something which a lot of firms will find problematic simply because the compliance departments have increased dramatically in size from what they were uh, 10, 15 years ago. And yet there's still concern around lack of resource for the compliance function. It's a never-ending problem, really, isn't it? I reminded myself of the results of a survey the Financial Conduct Authority conducted in 2017 of senior compliance officers at wholesale banks. And one of the many conclusions from that survey was that the compliance function was so busy reacting, had so much to do, that actually there wasn't the priority the FCA would have liked to have seen given to strategy, given to having a clear plan as to how the compliance function was going to develop and respond in a premeditated way to changes they could foresee. And it struck me reading that because I wondered how much that has actually changed at all since then. What would you say to that? I think that there will be quite a lot of firms that have not had the budget, haven't had the staffing, but also probably haven't had the management capable of taking those strategic decisions. So the senior management level of a compliance department should probably be looking three, five years ahead in the future. And why is that? Because an awful lot of what the management of the compliance department should be doing is making sure that they have an area within compliance that is looking at what the regulators are saying now about what the focus will be in six months' time, two years' time. 
so they can plan for the future. And why is that important? Because firms don't react quickly. There are an awful lot of firms that just do not do implementation well. And therefore, the role of compliance really has to be to say, okay, we think that the focus of the regulators in two years' time is going to be on this. And this is what we need to have for this. Therefore, you management need to put in place the budget now for next year. Now, if they don't have the budget or if their management aren't listening to what they're being told, then you'll end up with a situation where firms are reacting because suddenly the regulators said, what are you doing about this project? And the bank says, uh, oh, we're thinking about it. We're just about to put a project in place. And it's too late then because your project implementation time is going to be so long you'll have missed the deadline. You've got a situation at the moment where the regulators are wise to that because if you look at the customer duty, the regulators not only said, we want you to do this, this is what we expect you to have in place, but they're actually keeping firms honest by saying, and by the way, by the end of October, for example, we want to actually see that you've got project plans in place to make sure that you will deliver something for next year, because they're obviously aware that firms tend to leave things to the last moment because none of the management want to spend the money or create yet another project, which is competing with something which could, for example, make them new business. And they'll always delay things to the last moment. So in this particular case, the regulators are saying that we want to see your project plans now. And by consumer duty, you're talking about the new principle that the FCA is introducing that requires firms to act to deliver good outcomes for their retail customers. And those are cross-cutting rules requiring firms to act in good faith and avoid causing foreseeable harm and enabling and supporting customers to pursue their financial objectives. It's an all-encompassing set of rules that firms need to get ready for. And at a time when the Financial Conduct Authority is focusing more than ever on the conduct of financial services professionals, not just their work-related conduct, but also their non-work-related conduct. Under FCA rules and guidance, anyone regulated and working in financial services must be a fit and proper person. And historically, the analysis of whether someone was deemed to be fit and proper considered how that person concerned did their job. But in recent years, the scope of that assessment has broadened to include behaviour outside the workplace or non-financial misconduct. And that does place firms under the FCA's watch under increasing regulatory pressure to police financial and non-financial misconduct of their staff and the consumer duty that you mentioned feeds into that because it's yet again a set of rules that ultimately seeks to police the conduct of the staff under a firm's employment what do you think about that approach so policing financial misconduct has evolved over time but is relatively simple you can understand what financial misconduct is and therefore it's easier to investigate it you can investigate relatively simply whether someone's been road trading, false accounting, whatever it might be. Financial crime teams are working more closely with compliance teams. There is far greater use of automated monitoring technology to identify financial misconduct. The problem that we have is on non-financial misconduct. So it's really no definition for it. You've got a lot of speeches, comments, expectations from the regulators there haven't been many instances where they published any information about individuals and non-financial misconduct that firms can then take and go okay that's what we need to look for that's what we need to train our staff on so it's still a bit of a dark area as to what it is that could be non-financial misconduct the other problematic area is that 
with non-financial misconduct, an awful lot of it would have been policed probably by human resources teams. And in any non-financial misconduct cases going forward, there will probably be either investigations by human resources or joint investigations with human resources and compliance. And that can confuse things because human resources are not compliance departments. They don't have perhaps the same understanding of what regulators might want. They might investigate in different ways and therefore might come up with different conclusions. Trying to work out what is a serious misconduct case and therefore needs to be reported to regulators and what is just one of those HR issues is again going to be quite difficult, I think, for firms to determine. So non-financial misconduct for me is a big area of concern in terms of getting it right and delivering what the regulators want in a very legalistic environment where people will be concerned about the human rights, will be concerned about, for example, individuals litigating against the firms or all kinds of different issues in relation to that particular topic. The biggest problem the industry has is understanding what it is that the FCA is doing. One of the things that firms try and do is to educate their staff as to what the correct behaviour should be. And the only way that they're really going to understand that, unless it's a specific speech or a letter from the regulator saying this is our view on non-financial misconduct, and there is precious little information about what non-financial misconduct means coming from the regulators. We just don't have the level of detail coming out about all of the notifications that are going to the FCA about what it is that firms should be looking for, what it is that firms should be telling their staff that they shouldn't be doing. And I well remember having an industry meeting with a number of senior FCA staff three or four years ago and putting this question to them and saying, can you give us more information, even if it's sanitized information? about the conduct cases, non-financial misconduct cases that you're working. At the time, the regulators were very receptive. They said, yeah, great, fantastic idea, because what we want to try and do is to prevent these things occurring rather than just investigate and prosecute them. But it became clear over time that this just wasn't something that was going to be possible. Basically, the legal concerns that the FCA had meant that they couldn't release any information whatsoever in relation to any of the notifications or investigations that they had. And all you're going to get is what comes out in a final notice, if there is one, in relation to non-financial misconduct. Uh, and most of that will have been heavily sanitised, will have been agreed by the law firms on both sides, and just doesn't give the industry enough information to be able to police things correctly. So I think how I'd like to see the regulators policing things better is being more transparent giving more information out to the industry about what it is that they're looking for, what it is they're investigating and what the outcomes are. Do you think that their lack of transparency is because the FCA simply has just got too much to do at the moment? Do you think that the FCA is bitten off more than it can chew? Why the FCA has decided that it's too difficult to release information? I think it's simply because in any case that's being investigated by the regulators that involves an individual, they are highly contentious. And I'm pretty sure it's the FCA's internal legal department, which has just said the only thing that we can produce 
an issue is something that's been approved by the individuals themselves or by their lawyers. Does the regulator have too much to do? Yeah, I would absolutely say that it has too much to do. Every time there's been a slight hiccup in the markets, the government's response has been to just lump more and more of the industry on the regulators to say, right, you can take on this as well. So the FCA at the moment has a very large number of firms that it's required to look after, a large number of areas that it's required to police. So do they have the staff to be able to do that? Probably not. Not in terms of numbers and certainly not in terms of capabilities in a lot of areas. What repercussions does that have for the compliance functions that are tasked with ensuring that their firms follow the rules the FCA set? And what tips would you have for senior compliance officers having to deal with an overworked regulator? There are a number of problems coming up of having a regulator that is probably overworked. The first is simply that the response times for some of the smaller firms that have fewer regulators that are dedicated to them, looking after them, might even be a contact centre firm where you have no regulators that you're talking to. You simply phone up the contact centre to try and get information about what you should do. The problem is getting information back that will then help you to implement a proper compliance programme. And quite often rules aren't particularly clear, but if it's not clear in the speeches, publications, guidance, whatever it might be, then the only resort is really to contact the regulators and ask them a particular question. Or it could be that there is an issue that needs resolving in relation to regulatory compliance that requires a response in the regulator. And if there aren't enough regulators, those response times can drag out. You saw that before COVID started in relation to the senior managers and certifications regime and the delays that there were in approving senior managers. In some cases, there were year-long delays in getting people approved. And the compliance departments are the ones who are stuck in the middle, effectively, where the senior management or the individual who's seeking to be approved is saying, well, what on earth are you doing? What's going on? And the only thing that the compliance department can say is, well, we're talking to the regulators and we're not getting a response. And that doesn't look good for the compliance department because all you're saying is not our fault, it's the regulator's fault. So one of the big issues is response times in terms of being able to do compliance properly. Mm -hmm. We've discussed bandwidth issues at the FCA and something that has come out from previous podcast episodes has been that the FCA and UK regulators in general need time to understand what is really happening in the market to enable them to respond accordingly. What they don't need is more and more work piled on top of their already very expansive to-do list. And yet we're in a period of time where the UK government is pushing through this package of post-Brexit reforms for the city, which are a series of fairly ambitious sounding plans for the UK financial services sector to effectively rethink its regulatory architecture to ensure that the city remains competitive. It sounds great in theory and practice. It means a lot more work for the regulators, including the FCA. What's your view on the FCA's ability to cope with that extra workload? They tend to be able to pull out stops to deliver the type of regulation that is envisaged because they've always done it. And I don't think that there will be major challenges to that going forward because we're not talking, I don't believe, about completely ripping up the rule book and rewriting it. An awful lot of what came from Europe directly in the rule book was stuff that was either 
already there to a certain extent in the UK rule books beforehand, or was as a direct result of lobbying by the UK regulators for what should be in the European laws. So I think to try and take back all the European regulation into UK regulation won't be too traumatic for the regulators. One of the things that does concern me, though, is the understanding by the government about the role of the regulator in relating to the city and how it operates in particular. I can remember back at the time that the FSA was in operation, there was an awful lot of pressure from the government on the regulator to be, if not nice to the industry, to make things easier for the industry, to make the industry more competitive. The messages coming from the government at the moment about competition are quite different to the messages that there have been in the past in relation to competition. So the regulators will be told, you make sure that firms can compete in the international market. We need to make sure that UK PLC can make money. And what you see with regulation is this pendulum swing between strong regulation when there is a problem. So we saw the FCA created as a result of the FX LIBOR scandals. The government embarrassed at a global level because people were saying, look at the UK. It's got more of these problems than anywhere else. Actually, it's just been probably more transparent about the problems than anywhere else, but that's neither here nor there. And there was then a crackdown on the city on financial services. Bankers were bad. All the committees and the different bodies that were set up to deal with this badness in the city were just legion at the time. You've now got to a situation where I feel and fear that the pendulum will have swung back too far the other way. And the government may turn around and say, as part of this going back to UK regulation from European regulation, uh, you need to not be so nasty to the city because we need the city to make money for us and get us out of the hole that we're in. Therefore, let's just relax regulation a little bit. Let's not be quite so nasty to all the bankers. The danger with that is that you then may end up with, in a few years' time, the same sort of scandals that you've seen in the past. It's simply the way that politicians operate. They are more interested in the immediate case of what do we need to do to get re-elected than they are in what we need to have a financial system that's stable and working well in 10 years' time. They don't think on the same horizons. So whether it was a Conservative Party in power now or a Labour Party in power now, how they get out of the financial mess that we are about to get into if we're not in it already, in terms of the way the markets are going at the moment, the fact that as a country, we're not in a good financial position will be to do what the Labour government did back in the 2000s to say, okay, be slightly more relaxed on things to allow people to make more money. Let's be more liberal. Let's free up markets. Let's allow them to make more money. Because that's what we want. We need revenue. We need competition uh, rather than any problems. That's really interesting. And what can industry do to prevent that pendulum from swinging too far the wrong way? It comes down to the regulators and then how they police the system and whether they stand up to the pressure from the government. Because I think in the past, when the, the Labour government at the time was trying to make the UK more competitive and was trying to relax things, it wasn't the laws that were relaxed. It was the subtle pressure 
that the government was putting on the senior management of the regulators to adopt a different approach to do different things. So at the regulatory level, it requires senior regulators to be able to resist the immediate temptation of the government to relax things a little bit, to take the brakes off so that we have more revenue generated so that we can potentially fill up our depleted coffers. At the industry level, if it's signaled that there is a hands-off, lighter touch regulation that would allow firms to make more money, it is for firms to realise that they can't simply just do whatever they want to do or shouldn't just simply do what they want to do. They should maintain the same standards. And that's going to be challenging because what will happen is compliance departments will probably be turning around saying, you need to think about what you're doing and make sure that you don't just go for it and try and make as much money as you can, that you do need to continue to think about the markets. And, and sometimes the management of the firms might be willing to listen to that, to think about the long term, and sometimes they might not. But for compliance departments, that's going to be a challenge. And you mentioned that the onus will be on regulators pushing back events a drive to deregulate, and it will be a real test of their independence. But that it's also an extremely challenging test, given that one of the powers that will come in potentially with this financial services markets bill is so-called call-in powers, which is something the government is keen to introduce to enable them to check the regulators, essentially, to ask questions of them when they're not sure about their particular approach to something or if they just want further information. It's not clear exactly how those call-in powers are going to be used. What are your views on the proposals around call-in powers and the impact that that will have on regulatory independence in the UK? I suppose it depends on how different it is from the situation today. So you have the ability for uh, Parliament to call anyone to come before it and provide answers and that's so it's a fairly harrowing experience if the government believes you may have done something wrong. So that there are quite a lot of situations at the moment where the head of the FCA will attend select committees, will provide information to the government on a regular basis. The way that these are often used is by politicians to suggest to the regulators that they should be doing different things. So if there is a fundamental change to that. If there is a stronger expectation from the parliament, then the regulators need to have enough ability to withstand that pressure. And that means they need to have the the right people at the top with the regulators. And they need to make sure they're not doing anything wrong. So as soon as they do something wrong, then usually they're on the back foot. If there is something more in relation to the calling powers, which will allow the government to change the way that the regulators regulate, and I'm not sure quite how that would work, then that's much more complicated and potentially more dangerous. It's quite likely that you'll have uh, overarching legislation which contains a certain amount of detail about what's required. And then, as in the past, the regulators will fill in all the detail about how things work, And then they'll have their own expectations outside of their own rules about what firms should be doing. If there is a greater involvement from the government in the detail of what's going on, then that could certainly be problematic. Okay, you've just described some fairly concerning developments that you foresee in the regulatory space. What would you say your concerns for the compliance function? 
it's whether compliance departments can keep up with the markets and what's going on. There's been a lot of investment over the years in relation to automated monitoring, and it's probably still fairly basic in terms of what it delivers. If markets get more complicated over the years, if products get more complicated over the years, then I'm not sure that the technology to be able to monitor this stuff is going to keep pace with what's going on because it's behind the curve already. And there may be greater expectation from regulators to use technology to deliver better outcomes and to identify more wrongdoing. And then the other concern, which is a general concern, is whether the budgets will be there. If the industry is not doing as well as it was in the past, if there are concerns with economies globally, money isn't there because of whatever crisis it is at the time. We're still coming out of COVID. Ukraine is obviously causing all kinds of problems. Then budgets are allocated to those areas which are seen to need them. And quite often compliance is an area where people can construct an argument that it's not a priority area at the time, unless there is an ongoing investigation, unless there is a, a clear and present danger. It's something which is then pushed to the back burner. So I think that those are the sort of two key concerns I have. When you combine the regulatory issues that you've described and the compliance issues that you described, it seems within the realms of possibility that we are heading towards something of a perfect storm in terms of creating almost an ideal environment for another financial scandal to erupt. How could we avoid that? Every time I've seen this pendulum of regulation swing backwards and forwards, there's been some sort of outcome. And the reality is that you get these scandals which occur with monotonous regularity, usually in a different era to the one that you've looked at in the past. So we tend to be very good at fighting the last battle that we fought and thinking about how to prevent that occurring rather than thinking about what might be the, the, the next battle for the future. So I'm sure there will be another scandal that comes about. It's when you start taking your eye off the ball that you create the environment that allows these things to occur. So how to prevent that? Well, it's making sure that you don't take the foot off the pedal in terms of regulation too much, that you still keep the pressure on firms to do the right thing, and that you support, if you're a regulator, the compliance departments to make sure that they have the right resources, the right budgets, to be able to keep firms honest. You have to make sure you have an environment which reinforces the way to behave and need to have this environment that is going to stop the rogue firms doing the wrong things or at least create an environment that's going to make them think twice about doing the wrong thing. Well, let's hope that that environment is encouraged and properly policed in the coming months and years. Lastly and generally, what's one upcoming or current challenge that concerns you that you think not enough people are paying attention to? There are a number of things that are going to be challenging for firms in relation to the prospective high interest rate environment. We've lived in an environment where interest rates have been quite low for a long, long time. Inflation's going to be back. Interest rates are going to be high in the future. We've already seen the impact of the government's statement about the economy and interest rates on bond yields. You've already seen it causing problems for pension funds uh, in terms of margin talks, which is probably the bank we need to step in. So it's concerning at the wholesale level, but it could be concerning at the individual level as well. So there's going to be a lot of interest at firms about the high interest rate environment that I'm sure that we will be in the future. 
And for compliance teams, it's then going to be looking at all of the conduct issues in relation to how firms deal with clients in relation to that. You're talking all about treating customers fairly. What is the right thing to do? Do you need to completely restructure products that were meant to be delivering one thing when there was a completely different installation environment? What's going to be the cost to the firm? Will the firm want to do that? How can you convince firms to do the right thing by the clients? What are actually the regulators' expectations? There are a lot of noises off from regulators saying you need to not only treat clients fairly, but actually do the right thing by clients by if they're going to be losing money, maybe not allowing them to lose money. Should banks be profiting out of this? The whole host of questions. I don't think people are really thinking too much about that because the regulators haven't said much about it. And that could cause problems for people. Firms need to consider how, and regulators need to consider how firms respond to that. And really, compliance departments will be challenged to work through the ethics of what needs to be done with their management. Well, thank you very much, Anthony. That's been an incredibly informative and thought-provoking conversation. So thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.